Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa Inverse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to capture a moment of beauty, no matter how small or how big, but to just take some time to pause and be fully present in this moment, to be aware, to be here now. So let's take a deep breath together. (sighs) So good. So good. So for today's episode, we're going to start off with Hafez, and then I have some um, interesting things to discuss that I already have in mind. Um, so we'll see what Hafez brings forth in order to get us going. Uh, we'll go with the roulette of poems from The Gift. And this is called Tired of Speaking Sweetly. Mm-mm. Love wants to reach out and manhandle us. Break all our teacup talk of God. Mm. If you had the courage and could give the beloved his choice, some nights. He would just drag you around the room by your hair, ripping from your grip all those toys in the world that bring you no joy. Love sometimes gets tired of speaking sweetly and wants to rip to shreds all your erroneous notions of truth that make you fight within yourself, dear one, and with others, causing the world to weep on too many fine days. God wants us to manhand- God wants to manhandle us lock us inside of a tiny room with himself and practice his dropkick. The beloved sometimes wants to do us a great favor, hold us upside down and shake all the nonsense out. But when we hear he is in such a playful, drunken mood, most everyone I know quickly packs their bags and hightails it out of town. (laughs) Oh my God, what a great... What a great poem. Um, I feel like I have to read that one again just to, I mean, there was so much goodness in that. So I'll just read it real quick. Tired of speaking sweetly. Love wants us to reach out and manhandle us. Break all our teacup talk with God. If you had the courage and could give the beloved his choice, some nights he would just drag you around the room by your hair, ripping from your grip all those toys in the world that give you no joy. Sometimes love gets tired of speaking sweetly and wants to rip to shreds all your erroneous notions of truth that make you fight within yourself, dear one, and with others, causing the world to weep on too many fine days. God wants to manhandle us, lock us inside of a tiny room with himself, and practice his dropkick. The beloved sometimes wants to do us a great favor, hold us upside down, and shake all the nonsense out. But when we hear he is in such a, quote, playful, drunken mood, Almost everyone I know quickly packs their bags and hightails it out of town. <laughs> oh my God, I love this. Um, so what comes to mind, it's so funny because it's so related to the topic that I wanted to address today. Uh, so basically, God is in a playful mood because he wants to get all the BS out of our system. You know, we sometimes are too delicate about our conversations. Um 
in the spiritual world are conversations of connecting with the divine of, you know, evolving into our higher selves and stuff. So sometimes it's too delicate. It's too dainty. It's too, um, kumbaya, love and light. You know, we're not going to look at the fact that there are shadow sides to everything. Um, which reminds me a large part of the Western westernized version of yoga, um, and the, and the predominantly white communities, um, that practice this and it's it's this whole like just be positive and smile through it and it'll be fine and the poem hafez is saying you know god sees that and decides he's gonna shake that nonsense out of us so that we can really connect and be fully present in what our true selves are and what love really is which is being friends with and accepting all the aspects the good the not so good, I don't like to call things bad because it's a judgment call. It's, it's the things that are difficult, the, the, the shadow aspect. And when we talk about shadows, we really are, are referring to the parts of ourselves that we don't want to accept, that we reject the things that feel unappealing, unattractive, um, you know, and, and what, what love is calling us to do, what the divine is calling us to do is to in, embrace all of that, to become friends with every aspect of ourselves, to become whole, right? And so what is happening in this poem is that God is kind of playful. You know, he'll just like corner us in a room and be like, all right, here comes your growth moment, <laughs> you know? And I've, I've been experiencing a lot of growth moments lately, um, in different in different ways and and it shows up in different ways both physically uh, mentally spiritually uh the common thread is that it's uncomfortable you know it's like sort of this restlessness sort of a, a tenseness that you're like oh this doesn't feel good it doesn't feel like anxiety anxiety is more of a sharp feeling it's more of a, a just a discomfort where you're like mm, i don't like that but Deep down inside, we know that that's what needs to happen in order for us to grow and and move up to the next level, so to speak. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I know that the spiritual path is not a linear one, and we don't start at point A and then move to point B um, in a straight line. You know, it could be point A and point B is like right on top of point A, but uh, it's it's not linear. It's not a straight path. It's more of a spiral movement. And just the other day, I real I found out that there's a name for it. I didn't know there was a name for it. I just knew the motion, but it's called spiral dynamics. And so what it what it is 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 basically that when we grow and evolve, it is in a spiral motion. So we may find ourselves in the same situation over and over again, but because we've learned um, some new lessons in the previous iteration of that situation, we can recognize the situation for what it is and then use our new knowledge to address it in a different way, to respond in a different way, which then allows us to grow. And so we move in that circular motion, we move around that spiral and we might meet that same situation again and have another layer peel off and another level of clarity, another level of understanding emerges. And so it continues um, until eventually, whatever that situation is, um, we then grow out of it where we've learned the, all the lessons and the layers that we needed to that that particular situation does not theoretically does not appear again. Um, so if you've really learned the lesson, 
then that situation has completed its cycle in your spiral so that it doesn't, it doesn't show up again. And specifically, like just to give an example, what I think of often that a lot of people use as an example is um, romantic relationships. Like you date the same person over and over again until you learn the lesson of like what it is, like why are you dating the same person? Like it's a different actual person, but their personality, their tendencies, their behaviors, their patterns are very similar to the previous person. So what are you to learn from that interaction? Um, how can that interaction with that person show you your own beliefs that might be holding you back, your own behavioral patterns that you may be stuck in that's preventing you from growth? And once you recognize that, then you find yourself dating someone entirely different. And you're like, wow, that's not my type, whatever that is, the quote unquote type. I mean, do we really have a type? That's, that's, a, that's a belief. Um, it's not necessarily true. Right. And truth is truth is something that resonates within you. Everyone has their own inner truth and their own inner knowing that can serve as um, a truth scale, for lack of a better way of talking about it. Uh, so you may end up dating somebody who you like comes out of left field and you're like, wow, this is not the person that I am normally attracted to or, or find interest in. And that could be a sign that you have evolved and grown out of the patterns that you engage with, with that, that same type of person you dated in the past. And so it's a, it's a, a marker of you growing, evolving, moving on, leveling up, you know? So that's, that's really cool. I like to see that as an example um, in people uh, where I'm like, oh, look, you're dating somebody totally new. Cool. That like, welcome to the new version of you, the new highest version of you. That's really awesome. Um, so this poem brings that forward and it's so interesting to me because I have been seeing some um, revelations that are are coming forward. Not revelations as in like epiphanies that I'm having like aha moments, but it's more like there are some dark shadows that are coming forward into the light, specifically in um, some yoga communities that I'm that I'm part of. And so the the first thing uh, that, and it's funny because these events, these, these revelations happened in the same day. And I was like, oh, something is shifting. Like there's some, there's some reckoning that's, that's coming up from the surface to be healed. Um, and so the first thing is uh, for those of you that are uh, familiar with the Kundalini yoga world, uh, there is a prominent teacher. Her name is Guru Jagat, and she uh, passed away unexpectedly uh, a few days ago. She had um, ankle surgery, and there were complications from that surgery where a pulmonary embolism had formed, which is a blood clot, essentially, and that traveled up to her body. And um, I don't know if it 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 landed in the heart and lungs or the brain, but somehow it lodged somewhere and then um, and then she passed on. Uh, everybody's in shock and it's, it's kind of wild and crazy. She was only 41. Uh, and so when I heard the news, I was shocked and I was, I was sad and I was like, oh my God, that's so, that's so crazy. And then I came across this article, um, online that was published two weeks prior that had done some investigative reporting into the behind the scenes of her quote unquote empire. Um, and so some interesting things were raised as far as, you know, what was her intention 
for um, her business. You know, um, there are some allegations against her. Um, there's some toxic envir- work environments that have been reported by former employees, mismanagement of money, like all kinds of um, kinds of shady things. And it's so interesting because I read the article and I was like, oh, it sounds like to me that she had um, fallen prey to the the sort of the 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 power feeling of being this this visible guru um and perhaps she didn't have the guidance she needed for best business practices um you know i i i don't know i'm on i'm on the outside looking in so i don't i only can see what is given to me so i have no inside information but as an outsider what I see with eyes of compassion is a woman who might have embarked on this journey th- into Kundalini yoga um, and felt called to share the teachings with with folks, but then get got wrapped up in ego that got wrapped up in um, the expectations of the external world. Uh, and she might have, you know, changed internally to fit that mold. Now she may not have been aware of that. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, this was all in Hollywood and we all know how crazy that place is. Like the, I mean, it's gotta be like, uh, uh, it must do a number on people in terms of like the level of celebrity in terms of like all of this external, the seeking external affirmation and validation. it can't be a healthy place to live to be. And so uh, I was, I thought that was a really interesting revelation because, you know, I had, and then, and then her whole, her whole platform had shifted um, in a totally weird direction of um, conspiracy theory and things like that. And I was like, what? which is not unheard of um, since there was a lot of, of stuff happening during pandemic in regards to yoga communities and the like. Um, but I'm not going to get into that. What I, what I do want to get into is, you know, she, I don't know. It's just, it's just to me, it feels like maybe she was a little girl that didn't get the proper guidance and, and got guidance from somebody who was possibly, you know, predatory. Um, but again, these are all speculations that I just see from the outside in with a, a compassionate eyes, compassionate heart. And so finding these out, I was just like, oh, kind of bummed. But also asking myself these questions of what do we do as students? Like she was never one of my teachers, like formally. Like I, I followed her um, and watched some of her videos and, and got some benefits from those. But her teachings, the way she, in which she was teaching um, some of the, the, the teachings of Kundalini Yoga, uh, the philosophies, I didn't resonate with in terms of her delivery, her language, the way she was. Like she wasn't, you know, I was like, all right, cool. But it, I, there wasn't uh, an energetic connection. So I was able to, to learn some teachings from her, but I didn't necessarily feel attached um, or involved. And I know a lot of folks are um, immersed in her community and, and feel a huge loss of her passing. Um, 
And so I, I'm, I'd be curious to see, you know, what their response is to these to this particular um, investigation um, investigative article. And so I'm thinking about how much we as people, right? What I was saying is, as we as people, as students, right, as seekers in the spiritual world, how I'm curious about how we interact with teachers. You know, I know that there are a lot of people out there. You know, I had read, oh, no, no, I know. I had seen the film, The Wisdom of Trauma, which I'd like to talk about, but I don't know if um, that might be a separate episode. Well, it's a documentary featuring Gabor Mate, and it was so amazing, so insightful, um, the way in which he talked about these things. And it was it was content that I'm familiar with, but the way in which he presents it in that very matter-of-fact, plain-speak, easily accessible, like talking to a regular person kind of way was what I connected with most. So, so good. So amazing. Um, but, of course, I now just lost my train of thought. <laughs> but I was thinking about, oh, how vulnerable we are. So in that film, there um, there's a statistic that he that he cites where about half of Americans are are suffering from an, an depression and anxiety, and um, and a lot of that has to do with the the stressful environment that our society has created is this overachieving. Um, hustling kind of expectation. Like if you're going to make it here, you have to hustle. You have to work 24 seven. There's no such thing as rest. If you're, if you rest, you're considered weak. You know, if you do this, you're considered weak. Like there's all these things. Right. And so a lot of, um, a lot of young people now are medicated for depression and anxiety and a host of other mental illnesses. Um, and that's a large part due to the fact that they grew up in this high stress, high pressure environment. Um, I know for myself, my own students, over the years of teaching college kids, I have noticed the increase of students that I have who suffer from clinical depression and anxiety. And it's, and it's really heartbreaking for me. Um, and so what happens is that because of this, Students like mine, young people that I know, even even like, you know, people in their in their middle aged, you know, you know, in in the um, Gen X um, category that I'm in are seeking, you know, there's a lot of us are seeking purpose. They want to know, is there more to life than going to work? And I know that pandemic living in quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, has forced a whole lot of people to look at themselves, to look at their lives and ask, what is the point? What am I doing with this life that I have? Is it just about work? Like, do I like my job even? Do I like the work that I'm doing? If I love the work that I'm doing, cool, right? I'm in the right place. Awesome. But most people are not. Most people are working in a job because that was what they were told to do after college. You know, they were like graduate from high school, then go to college. I've talked about this on the podcast before where we talk about the path, capital T, capital P, you know, that's mapped out for you. You go to college, you get a job, 
find a partner, get married, keep working, have kids, keep working. They graduate from college. You keep working. You reach retirement age. Then you start living your life. Then you start to travel or do whatever you relax on the beach, whatever it is, if you make it that far, right? And who wants to like travel when you've got brittle bones, your arthritis is killing you. You know what I mean? Um, like why not do it now, for example? But so so pandemic has caused a lot of us to to do some inquiry, some deep inquiry. Like, what is my purpose in life? Like what, you know, what am I doing? And so some folks are seeking that higher calling, you know, and so they turn to yoga, they turn to meditation, they look to teachers that are popular, that are in the mainstream, that get the spotlight, whatever, um, you know, who, who take the, we'll say the teachings of yoga philosophy and make them more accessible for the Western mind. Now there's a risk in that, right? There's a risk in diluting the teachings and um, subverting them, not subverting is not the word, um, watering them, them down, diluting them, um, appropriating them. You know, we'll, we'll talk about a cultural appropriation, particularly in the predominantly white yoga community in the West. And I, when I say the West, I don't mean just the United States. I'm talking Europe and, you know, mostly white countries. Um, so a lot of us are looking and seeking, right? And so we go to these teachers who seem great, who they're like popular. You're like, well, if they're popular, I guess they're, they're up to something good. Right. And I'm not saying all popular quote unquote famous teachers in the yoga world and the wellness and spiritual world are bad or to be like suspicious of, I'm not saying that, but it is about trying to tune in with who is working and living in integrity, right? And that's not always hard to see, especially when you are someone who is so desperate for purpose. You're so desperate for answers, you know, and you're seeking. And so what happened with Guru Jagat is that a lot of women, especially, were looking for purpose. We're looking for something that's something that you can't quite hold. And so they went and followed her and, you know, and she's great because she's a woman, she's a feminist, she's strong and powerful leader. You know, that's the facade that we were, we were seeing, right? I don't, you know, I don't know what goes on behind scenes. Maybe she wasn't that. Um, at the workplace, according to this one article, she was seen as not nice. You know, she was mean. It was a toxic work environment. And so, um, you know, the, the, compassionate person in me can't help but see like a wounded inner child who's trying to be an adult, but doesn't know how because she hasn't had the guidance, never was taught that. And so acted out in anger and lashed out. But anyway, these are, this is just my, these are just my takes on it. But what happens is these women who are vulnerable then get pulled in to, um, devotion to a single person, which then evolves into something called a cult. You know, um, I think the definition of a cult is that there is true devotion to one person as the, the leader who is put up on a pedestal and they could do no wrong and that you are essentially brainwashed to not see anything outside of that community. 
to, to think that anything outside of that community is bad or threatens the community or, you know, whatever it is. And it's funny because Kundalini yoga in, in some circles has been viewed by some people as a cult when really it's, it's interesting because I guess it depends on who you ask, right? So Yogi Bhajan is a, is the person who brought Kundalini yoga to the United States. And, um, a lot of, a lot of stuff has come out about him, uh, over the past year. So like, I, I think it was right before pandemic, maybe towards the end of 2019, early 2020, um, a lot of things emerged where he, um, was accused of sexual abuse um, and manipulation, toxic environments, that kind of stuff. And I totally believe all of the victims who have come forward to and survivors who have come forward to um, to account for what had happened to them. Um, but then there was all these other things about like, you know, his teachings and, and all this other stuff. And so for me, it was so interesting to watch that unfold and how many people had invested their existence sounds really extreme, but their, their beingness, their practice around him, you know, they had put him on this pedestal. And so I think that some folks have done this with Guru Jagat as well, putting both of them on this pedestal where they know it all. They have the access to the divine secrets of the, of the universe. Um, instead of saying, okay, here's some teachings. I'll take that for my own and then I'll make my own journey. But when people are desperate and vulnerable and, and, and so in need of nurturing, they don't see it. They don't see it. And so, and so this is what happens or what happened. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm thinking about what can we do as seekers that can prevent us from falling into blind devotion and investment into another person? Because what it is, really what you're seeking is to connect with yourself. Ultimately, the practice of meditation, spirituality, yoga, whether it's, you know, yoga in terms of the asana, the physical practice, or yoga in chanting and in um, any of those versions of, of practicing the lifestyle of yoga, the main goal is to get back to yourself, to get back to the divine light within you. That's why we say namaste, right? We want to be reminded that we have divine light within us. And there's too much external stuff that covers up that light. You know, it's all these layers of conditioning and like wounds and trauma. And, and so the practice of yoga and meditation and spirituality is to start to peel away those layers, to start to really dig in and get connected back into that inner knowing, into your divine knowing, that divine light. And so it's hard when you're, when you're desperate for guidance so one of the things to look out for to practice, to start practice is to, is to trust yourself to guide yourself. I mean, so I, here, we don't know what we don't know, right? And so we look to other teachers. We look to others who have been where we are and somehow made forward progress or <laughs> spiral upper level progress, right? 
And so we can look to them for examples. We can ask them questions, but ultimately it comes down to us. So we can ask ourselves, okay, that person did that. That's cool. Let me try it. Does that resonate with me? Does that feel good? You know, I mean, one of the, one of the, the accusations in Guru Jagat's world was that she had told her employees or the, you know, the people in her inner circle that they needed to practice Kundalini yoga every day, like whether it was a certain Kriya or um, a specific meditation, whatever, you'd have to practice it every day or you would lose all the progress that you made, right? Spiritually or whatever it is in terms of evolution, which is not true because you can't unknow what you already know. And lived experience is knowledge. So you can't unknow that. So there's no way you can move back and lose, quote unquote, lose the progress or the momentum. But that was the manipulation. You know, it was, if you don't practice this, then like, if we're going to bring the old Catholic guilt and, and fear into this conversation, you don't practice this, you're going to hell, right? If you don't say your prayers every night, you're going to go to hell. If you don't practice this Kriya, you're not going to evolve. Not true. Not true. But how can you know that, right? How can you know that? You can know that by tuning in with your inner knowing. Now, a lot of folks are like, I don't know how to get into, into connecting with my inner knowing. I don't know. What is my inner knowing? How do I know? How do I know? Your body will tell you. Your body is like the most amazing communicator. And the problem is we've numbed our bodies that we've lost that connection. We've numbed our bodies to alcohol, to drugs, to overeating, to scrolling on social media. You know, like that's what meditation does too. It gets us back in our bodies. So here's a little thing you can try. When you're not sure about what action to take or if something is good for you or not, resonates with you or not, ask your body and you'll, you'll get an answer. So for example, and when I say ask your body, yes or no questions, ask yes or no questions, or you can make statements. So, um, for example, um, you can start by giving yourself a, a sort of baseline test, right? You say, my name is Leslie Ann. And then you feel how your body, does your body expand or does it contract? Because expansion, that feeling of opening is a yes contracting or caving in on yourself is a no. Okay. So if I said, my name is Bob, which we know it's not, my body's going to get a little like, it's very subtle and it takes practice, but you can use that as a tool to get back in tune with your inner guidance, with your inner knowing. Um, and so as we embark on these journeys towards knowing ourselves, towards spiritual evolution, and we look to teachers for guidance, you can ask yourself, all right, I'm learning this thing from this teacher. Instead of blindly accepting it because I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty for knowledge, for guidance, for someone to tell me what to do. Instead of doing that, let's pause. Let's take a deep breath. Let's step back and ask, okay, does this feel in alignment with me? Does this feel in integrity? okay, let's ask my body. You know, I'm thinking about that daily practice. You know, I, in Kundalini Yoga, it's very common 
not required, just it's a common practice to commit to, to something for 40 days. So like a 40 day meditation, a 40 day Kriya. In Kundalini Yoga, Kriyas are just sets of exercises that are designed for a certain energetic effect. Um, and I used to love doing them. You know, I love the effect of the 40 day practice. And what I'm finding lately, at least for the physical Kriyas, is that I'm not, um, not crazy about it anymore. <laughs> you know, like I don't mind doing it, but I'm not as motivated as I used to be. So I'll do it for a week and then I'll test it out. All right. Do I want to keep going? Sometimes it'll go for two weeks, but the 40 day thing is not in the cards as far as the physical practice of Kundalini yoga. Now I've, I've committed to 30 day practices for meditation or some breath work or something like that. What I find for me personally is that I need that variation. I need that. I need a variety. And so maybe down the road, I'll get back to the Kundalini. I still practice Kundalini um, yoga. It's just not the same Kriya over and over 40 days. You know, it's like I tune into my body. Okay, what do I need today? Let me go look up something that feels good. Um, so we'll see. You know, I feel like it'll just, it just cycles through it. But I trust that process. Um, so ultimately it comes down to trust. Now there's this other part that's related to the Guru Jaga thing and like looking at teachers is that recently, same day, <laughs> um, a yoga friend of mine from the Bhakti Yoga community had um, called out our teacher for his racism and sexism. And I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, it was so good to see that because I had experienced some gaslighting from this particular teacher when I asked specific questions of this teacher about racism um, and about sexism and and how do we as bhakti yogis practice some of the teachings you know of of love and compassion and and everybody's like divine and and light how do we practice that in a, in a world, in a physical three-dimensional world, especially in the United States that is structured and bent on the destruction of people of color? You know, I asked him those pointed, direct, serious questions and he sidestepped it. He gaslighted. Oh, and you know, I'm going to name names because I named Guru Jagat, right? So this teacher is Raghunath, um, or also known as Ray Capo. And he, um, you know, he's he very popular in the punk rock um, scene. You know, he's he was the front man for Shelter and um, I forget the other the other group. I'm not into punk rock. So um, it was something about youth. I can't remember now. But anyway, um, he's he's a nice person. But I but his white privilege is unbelievably like huge and um, and blind and. At the time, it, you know, I mean, even now, though, it's not, I don't, I don't feel like, I, let's just put it this way. I don't want to put in the emotional labor to educate him on his white privilege and how he gaslights people of color all the time. Um, I find that his teachings um, and his ways of presenting uh, some of the yogic teachings specifically with the bhakti lens are, uh, problematic, you know, um, 
it's just interesting because I did I did the, a teacher training in bhakti yoga with him, and I love bhakti yoga. You know the the devotion and love to Krishna, the chanting, the singing, the harmonium playing. Love all of that, all of the devotion. It it feels so beautiful, but sometimes the teachings, and it's this is not teachings from the ancient yogic texts. These are teachings from the, um, for lack of a better word, the guru, um, Prabhupada, who brought those teachings over from India and his interpretation of the ancient yogic texts, right? And I, I had problems with that because it, it, it inherently had hierarchies of like, you know, devotees who were better than everybody else. And I was like, no, I mean, that kind of contradicts the whole, like everyone is divine thing. Right. So I was like, yeah, it just, it kind of left a, a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so I kind of stepped away from that community. I mean, I love bhakti yoga still. So I have an, uh, I have my own bhakti yoga community locally and they're amazing. I love my peoples. Uh, but it's just so troubling to know that that Raghunath has this huge following, huge following, has a successful um, podcast. I used to like join in on the Zoom sessions when they would record the podcast, and it was great. Largely white, but also blind followers. Like there was no critical thinking. Anytime I would ask a question. It was like people would jump on me and attack me. And I was like, whoa, okay, I'm just asking a question, but everyone got defensive. And so I just left because no, mm -mm, not going to have it. If you're not open to a conversation, into looking at some of these teachings a little more critically, looking at the nuances of that, instead of just blindly accepting them, then I don't want any part of it. You know, I, I have my time is a limited resource and it's not going to be spent on fighting with you or educating you. If you're not open to that, I got other things to do that are more meaningful and more life changing and more powerful than trying to convince white people that racism exists. <laughs> because if you think it doesn't exist, then you need to go read some books, you know, like how to be an anti-racist or other things. <laughs> I'll put a bunch of books uh, and resources in the show notes so you guys can all go check that out. But know that if you are a white person and you opt out of whatever I say, that already is racism. Because it, it, may, it may not be obviously racist, but it works at the subconscious level where you refuse to hear anybody who challenges what you believe, who challenges the, the system that you benefit from. And why would you want to listen to something like that, right? Why would you want to give up this system that benefits you? Well, if you're truly a yogi and you truly practice compassion and want to see human beings and spirit souls evolve, then you will be open to that kind of conversation. That's why there is such BS in the Western version of, of yoga. 
because there there's nobody no white person that i know of i mean maybe there's people out there well actually no that's not true i have one one white friend who is trying to do the work at helping to dismantle racist systemic racism but for the most part i'm thinking more of the the quote unquote celebrity yogi people leaders and teachers and stuff they don't want to look at that stuff they're like oh we're all spirit souls and so i don't see color i don't see difference you know one of the things that raganoth did in terms of gaslighting me was to dismiss my challenge of of this like this this question of like well what do we do how do we practice bhakti yoga when we live in a system that's bent on destroying people of color and he said something like I am a white man and I understand that, but you know, maybe I was an Indian woman in a previous life, or maybe I'll be an Indian man in the next life or whatever. And I'm like, that doesn't matter now. You are a white man now. You have a platform in which to speak out and you are not using it. And you're also shutting down and dismissing and gaslighting people of color. So yeah, you're not cool. You're not doing the thing that you are preaching about. Um, you might think that you are, but no. But again, um, it's, it's, I tried having a conversation, right? I tried, but I'm done putting out that, that kind of emotional labor. So it's important for us as people, no matter what race, what gender, you know, whatever it is, if we are seeking something to be, mindful of who you are seeking guidance from to ask yourself to trust yourself does this ring true for me do i have a connection now the thing is they're not they're not all bad people out there there might just be people who are good but you don't connect with them and that's cool too you know there are some teachers who are out there who are doing i think are doing great things um but I just don't, I don't connect with them. Like there's no energetic chemistry. There's no connection. And so I let them do their thing and I go find my people, you know, and that's, and that's cool. You know, it's, it's really just being about it in, in integrity with who you are. If you can get to that, you know, who you want to be, who you sense you need to be and looking for that guidance from folks who make you go, Oh my God. Yes or who get you excited. Like, I want to learn from that person. Oh my God. Yes. You know, and it's, and you know, there is, there, <laughs> there is this, this, this aspect that perhaps that person isn't who you thought they were, you know? So for example, Yogi Bhajan, right? I, when I first entered the uh, Kundalini yoga community. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And Yogi Bhajan's teachings. Amazing. I wasn't all into him. I mean, I looked at people and I was like, why are you like, Oh, Yogi Bhajan, whatever. I was just like, I like what he's saying because that resonates. That makes sense to me, you know? And then this, the whole thing about him being abusive, I was like, Oh, that really sucks. You know, but while I disavow him, you know, we try not to like acknowledge him or whatever. Um, there are still some teachings that I garnered from being in that space. So it doesn't necessarily negate what I've learned. I just took the lesson, made it my own, and then stepped away. You know, you can step away. It's okay. 
you don't have to commit your lifelong devotion to one thing or one person or whatever. Like maybe yoga is not your thing, you know, maybe it's running. Maybe you love running. Running is your devotion. I don't like running. I mean, actually, I don't mind it, but mm. <laughs> not, not my exercise of choice. <laughs> but there are people who like swear by running. Like they love it. They feel alive. They feel in the zone. You know, that could be your devotion. That could be your meditation to connect with yourself. It doesn't have to be yoga. It doesn't have to be spirituality. But you don't know what that is until you go out in the world and experiment. So go out in the world, my friends, experiment, look for teachers, but also understand that these teachers are human, just like us, flawed. We got egos that might guide us astray. So to be mindful of continually shedding layers of conditioning, of wounds that we've been subject to, of trauma, um, to do healing work to listen once, you know, as, and it's not, it's not, we got to peel all the layers and then we can connect with our inner voice. No, we can do both because there's infinite layers. Just when you're like, oh, I shed that layer. Yes, I am healed. I've connected with myself. No, there's another layer that you didn't even know about. So it just keeps going. It's that spiral, right? So you can heal and peel the layers away as you make that connection with your inner self, with your divine knowing. And as each layer falls away, that voice becomes louder and louder. So you are able to connect with it, but sometimes it's a little hard, it's a little subtle. But as you continue to do that inner work, it starts to get louder and louder. And it's really cool because then once that's louder, then there's full trust. The self-doubt sort of takes a, a backseat. Um, and so many things open up. It's such a, it's such a miracle, but it's a continual process. It's a lifelong journey. I mean, and that's why we're here, right? <sighs> so anyway, I got so excited. <laughs> Lots of stuff happening in this episode. So much, so much. Um, but yeah, bottom line, listen to your heart, listen to your gut, listen to your inner knowing, your instinct. Look for teachers. Yes. But always know that you are the teacher. Okay. All right. So let's close the, let's close the episode with the world. I leave you. Um, oh my goodness. I had, I had a poem ready and then my pen went somewhere else. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with whatever opens because I'm like, Oh, did I read that one? Did I read that one? I have a lot of cool poems in here that looks so awesome. Um, okay. And I like reading it ahead of time, but I guess it's not in the cards today. <laughs> All right. So I know here I am still like looking, looking, why can't I just trust it? Like the gift. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is a poem by Craig Santos Perez the patron saint of bingo for grandma Perez, 1922 to 2018. Bingo is not indigenous to Guam, 
Yet here we are in the air-conditioned community center next to the village Catholic church. You set the bingo cards and ink daubers on the table. You sit in your wheelchair like an ancient sea turtle. This is your daily ritual, daily prayer. The last time I played bingo with you was 25 years ago when I was still a teenager and still lived on island. I remember when you won, you never shouted bingo too boastfully. When you lost, you merely said agupa. Tomorrow, we'll feel lucky. Either way, you always smiled during bingo. Here, no one punishes you for speaking chamorro. Here, no war invades and occupies life. Here, no soldiers force you to bow to a distant emperor or pledge allegiance to a violent flag. Here, no nation steals our land. Here, you're safe to gossip and play. You watch the bingo balls turn in the wire cage like giant beads from a broken rosary. You turned 95 years old this year, making you the eldest manamako in this room. I no longer attend Mass, yet here I am praying to the patron saint of bingo to call forth your fateful combination of letters and numbers. I pray for you to win, not for the gambler's rush or the sin of money. I pray for you to win because you carry so much loss, having outlived Grandpa and most of your childhood friends. Suddenly, someone shouts, Bingo! You sigh, put down the ink dauber, and sink back into the shell of your wheelchair. When's your flight, you ask? Agupa, Grandma, tomorrow. But today, I feel so lucky for this chance to play bingo with you one last time. Mm, oh, my heart. Love. Oh, I love that. That was so good. And how bingo is a devotion, a prayer, a ritual. See? It could be anything, my friends. And on that note, we close our episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I, or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now. <laughs>